I know dozens of people that have become multimillionaires as a result of their real estate holdings. And, and I don't know a lot of people that have done it without real estate. If you want to catch a lot of fish, well, you go to the place where all the fish are. If you want to become wealthy, you go to the place where all the wealthy people are, and that's real estate. Most business owners and entrepreneurs are secretly sick of hustling. And if you are too, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast with me, Mickey Anderson, where we're revolutionizing success because you should have it all. Business success, lasting wealth, freedom, and fulfillment. Join me on this quest to uncover the keys to defining and achieving success on our terms so we can all hustle less and profit more. Normally, I don't mention this, but I grew up in the Windsor, Ontario area. And uh, for those that don't know where that is, it's uh, across the border from Detroit, Michigan. And uh, so, yeah, both Mickey and I went to school like, you know, minutes from each other, which is kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went to university with her too, actually. But, uh, but yeah, my, uh, my background is uh, uh, I got, I did what everyone else tends to do. Maybe I had a lot of entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit uh, in my teenage and early 20s, but you end up uh, graduating university, you get the, uh, the traditional nine to five job, you meet a girl, you get married, you have a kid, you get a couple of promotions. And before you know it, you're stuck in, in the rat race and don't know what to do. You buy a, you know, I was able to buy a house and uh, had a mortgage and I uh, had a spouse that wasn't really making a lot of money. <laughs> and, uh, and, and honestly, my entrepreneurial spirit kind of went in the back burner. It wasn't dead, but it was certainly on life support. And, uh, and fast forward to when I was 40, recently divorced, uh, have a, you know, a, a kid who's not quite 10, uh, started a new relationship and, and, and sort of not where anywhere near where I was hoping to be at my, that point in my life. I, I had all these goals and aspirations and I just wasn't there. So it wasn't necessarily right on my 40th birthday, but around that time, I kind of turned my life around and started focusing on, on ways of truly building wealth. And, uh, it was around that time we were buying a house here in, in Whitby, Ontario. And we, uh, uh, we were introduced by a realtor, uh, to a bunch of different houses. And she was also a broker and she says, you'd be great for real estate and you'd be a great realtor. And I said, oh yeah, sure. You say that to all the boys. And, uh, but she says, no, 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 you'd be great at it. So I thought about it and researched it, decided to go forward and, uh, and quickly became a real estate agent and started focusing on investors and. And that's how I got started on my journey. Wow. You know, it reminds me very much of my parents. So my parents joke that they started kind of their careers later in life. And there's a kind of a gift to it because you get a lot out of your system. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, you learn how reset with the wisdom. Things to not do correctly. I, yeah, I, I could, I could write a book on that. And coincidentally, I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, Selfishly, I'm super excited to have you here because I have been thinking about real estate investing for a really long time. But like most people, it seems scary. The unknown is terrifying. And there seems like a huge knowledge gap between the concept or idea of, oh, I could buy a property and start to invest in real estate versus actually taking action. Okay. So for those of us who are really just starting to toy with the idea of getting into real estate investing, what can we start to do to educate ourselves and and decide whether it's a good decision for us? 
the first question I, I, I always ask that with the question back, anyone who's already a homeowner and you, you mentioned you and your, your, your husband have a, have a home, um, of every dollar of current net worth that you have, give or take approximately how much of that came from the purchase of your primary residence and then your upgraded primary residence. Ish. I'm not going to hold you to exact number. Would it be over 50%? Would it be over 75%? I want to say probably around 50. Okay. So half of your net wealth came as a result of the purchase of your home. And actually, to be honest, that's actually a really low number. Uh, I know people that have, in all honesty, like my folks, for example, 80 to 90% of their wealth came from their, their personal resident, residences. And it's one of those things where I tell people, I said, keep in mind that at least in your own personal experience, in your own circle of friends, the vast majority of the wealth that we're building can, can come from real estate, especially in markets like Canadian real estate. So uh, it's not like you're saying, well, there's a one in a billion shot that it's going to be successful. As a matter of fact, in my circle, I know dozens of people that have become multimillionaires as a result of of their real estate holdings. And, and I don't know a lot of people that have done it without real estate. So if you, you know, I, I mentioned this in my book, if you, if you want to catch a lot of fish, well, you go to the place where all the fish are. If you want to become wealthy, you go to the place where all the wealthy people are, and that's real estate. So with that in mind, the first thing I would tell you is not all real estate is equal. And, and the most important thing is to start to do your research and, and homework. I have an entire chapter called uh, become an insider trader. And, you know, the term inside, insider trading is one of those things that um, uh, we obviously associate that with equities, you know, and, and Martha Stewart and, and, and making investments with all this insider knowledge and perhaps going to prison. Well, in real estate, it is the best possible thing that you can do. And I'm going to use my market in the greater Toronto area as an example. And um, I know the market fundamentals in this area. And specifically, I know the areas that I'm investing. And my area is not Ottawa. Ottawa is way too big of a market. Um, even honestly, Canada might even be uh, almost too large of a market. So you find areas in that town that have the right market fundamentals. And some of the things that I look for is, is growing population, growing job base, uh, growing uh, mass transit, uh, you know, transit hubs are a huge thing. And when you start to understand what, what drives and, and makes real estate go up in value, it becomes no longer this big foreign, oh my God, how can I know what's going to happen in real estate to becoming very predictable and honestly kind of boring. Um, and, uh, because you just know, you just know that the values are going to go up. And, and so if I can buy a quality property in a quality neighborhood, attracting quality tenants, I can hold on to it for a long time. And this little side hustle will make me quality profits. Uh, I don't want to be making scrunchies on the side. I don't want to be, I don't want to be driving Uber Eats in my evenings and weekends. Uh, the whole concept of hustle less is, is just being a lot smarter about things and, and, and finding things that can really make a significant difference in your life. And certainly real estate investing is one of those things. You know, growing up and even into my late twenties and early thirties, there were a lot of house flipping shows watched in this household. And 
that was really my first introduction to the idea of purchasing real estate was, man, people flip these houses and it looks like a lot of work. It looks very risky. And so I really love the fact that you're saying, don't buy the trashy house or the risky investment. Choose not just the property, but the actual location really carefully. Uh, what a, a different idea from what I had, what real estate investing was. I actually look at, uh, I've got an avatar of my ideal tenant profiles. And, and so my ideal tenants are between the ages of 25 and 35. They, uh, they you know, it's usually a couple. Uh, I don't care if it's male, female, 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 it doesn't matter, but a couple, uh, they're making solid income. They've got a good credit score and they've got a, an aspiration to one day become a homeowner. That's the kind of person I'm looking for. They may have a child. They likely have a pet. I'm a pet friendly kind of guy. So that's totally cool with me. Uh, I've actually designed my houses to be more pet friendly. And, and so by creating my avatar of my dream tenant, that allows me to, when I was looking for properties, I was actually looking for properties where my ideal tenants would want to rent. And, and so it all started with the tenant profile because I could tell you as someone who's owned properties that have needed a lot of work and been in mediocre areas, uh, easily 80% of my efforts were on the one or two properties, which were my pain in the ass properties. And we've now divested ourselves from those properties and we're focused only on the quality properties and quality neighborhoods. In my book, I, I interviewed a number of uh, uh, success story people, and uh, many of them spend as little as two or three hours a month in their portfolio, and they've become millionaires as a result of that. Wow. It's just the idea of becoming a mil the armchair millionaire, as your book is titled. It, it feels a little almost like a whimsical dream, but the fact that you're able to really give us some tangible steps, right? The avatar, I love that. In marketing, we do the exact same thing. You create an avatar and then you build your products and services and your business around the avatar. And Absolutely. for me, I never thought, it's always find the property and then find the tenant. But you're saying, no, no, no. Figure out your ideal tenant first and then work backwards. If going back to the flipping and and flipping, you're absolutely right. It's it's everyone's watched our share HGTV shows, and amazingly, in thirty to sixty minutes, these very pretty people are able to do three or four things, and magically, the place is ready in three weeks. And it's and they've supposedly made a um, hundred thousand dollars in their efforts. First of all, most of it is complete and total bullshit. There's nothing to it. They they don't factor in the carrying costs of or the financing costs in their profits. They certainly don't include their real estate fees. They don't include land transfer tax. Uh, I could tell you a lot of people I know that have done flips. If you break even on your first flip, consider that to be a successful first flip. Uh, if you are, if you are a contractor and do a lot of the work yourself, absolutely. You could turn a profit because you're essentially, you're creating your own job and that's cool. That's, that's a great way to do it if that's what you want to do. But you're, as soon as you stop doing the flips, the, the, the evenings and weekends, the money stops. But the great thing about owning assets such as real estate is all the work that I did in 2016, 2014, I, I'm still to this day res receiving residuals as a result of that. And, and really every three months, we're taking money out of our accounts 
and it's, it's, it's funding my life. And so, um, the amount of hours worked compared to the amount of money we're generating, uh, we're, we're basically putting no money, no hours work into it. Just, it's just that cash cow that just keeps producing milk. When, when you say that at first, when you mentioned, you know, it was just a couple hours a week to maintain your portfolio, um, I could kind of picture myself <laughs> in the seat of a real estate investor, you know, checking in on properties, managing tenants, that sort of thing. But the idea of building a portfolio from scratch seems like a lot of work. Is it possible to do it in a minimal amount of time? Or is this something where you put a lot of work up front and slowly start to kind of deviate or, or lessen the workload? Yeah. And obviously, every person who's listening to this podcast is coming from a different location, a different place. I could tell you where I was at. I own uh, a house that, well, I'm in right now, actually, at the time was worth about 600. I had about $600,000 in equity in the home. Uh, it was only worth 600,000. So I didn't have any debt on it. And so essentially I used, uh, I was able to qualify for my refi. I had a really strong nine to five income as a realtor. I was doing quite well there. So I really didn't need the, um, the cash flow from the properties. I was focused more on wealth building. And I'm going to come back to that a little bit because there's a real difference there. And so what I was doing was I would uh, was able to, in Canada, you're able to qualify for the most part, get an 80% loan-to-value mortgage. So let's let's pick a nice easy number here. Let's say the property is worth $800,000. So the bank would be willing to offer you a 75 or 80% of that. So, you know, neighbor of like $600,000 in mortgage. So you have to come up with 200 grand yourself. Maybe, you know, maybe a little different than that, but pretty close. And uh, I was able to take the $200,000 using that example from my primary home as a line of credit, uh, HELOC, and the rest I was able to qualify against the home. And for those that are weak at math, 80% plus 20% equals 100% financed. And so this particular property was essentially 100% borrowed. Now, the downside in having a property that's that leveraged is that it's likely not going to cash flow an awful lot. And, and I was okay with that and because my nine to five job was making as much money as it was. But uh, over time, I was able to force some appreciation on the properties by doing a renovation, adding a legal secondary unit. And that's the thing I advocate so much is not buying that, that single family townhouse or or going the other way and buying that huge multi-unit building where it has a bunch of ODSP tenant profile, uh, but more so, uh, or, you know, disability and such like that, but more so that avatar that attracts, you know, that I can attract and, and that, that bungalow with a basement apartment is absolutely perfect for that. And so, uh, so yeah, so once you did that, I often sat back and didn't do much else. And then a year later, I did it again. And a year later, I did it again. Maybe some of the properties that I had done three years ago, I refinanced them and then took money from that and did it again. So my cash flow was very affected by that because I kept refinancing against my portfolio. I wasn't necessarily trying to do it all in a, in a year or two. Matter of fact, I'm a big believer in the, uh, in the quote. Actually, it's right up there. Uh, people tend to overestimate what you can accomplish in one year and they underestimate what you can accomplish in 10. And my goal was to buy a property every year for 10 straight years. That was my goal. And that's what I was able to do. Some of them with partners, but eventually I just kept adding and adding and adding to my portfolio. And then once I reached that decade, then I kind of flipped the switch. I said, okay, I'm not focused on wealth building anymore. I don't need to refinance anymore, but I'm now as the tenants move out, I'm going to, re I'm going to get a, a 
higher rents and and I just found different ways to improve the cash flow in the properties. And so I went from one or three thousand dollars in cash flow to six to eight thousand dollars in cash flow because I had a portfolio that could do that. And uh and yeah, that's that's how it all started. And and so you it's hard to do it all at once. You need a lot of partners, it needs to be a full-time gig to make it really work. But but someone who's just working a few hours a month, absolutely they could buy a property a year. For sure. Even if it's every other year, it's still gonna make a huge difference in your life. Yeah, I I like the idea that we get to kind of decide the rules about how we go about it, right? There's a quote from um, The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, and it's um, all about know the game you're playing and don't be influenced by other people playing a different game. And I think that, because I just recently joined a real estate investing group. It's a women's group here of all real estate investors to learn and connect and network and just kind of soak up as much knowledge as I can. And one of the things that I noticed right off the bat was the vast difference in portfolios, goals, plans of everyone within the group, right? There's no one size fits all box in real estate investing. And so for someone coming in, maybe only wanting to buy one property and, and leverage that for long-term wealth, that's okay. And, and that's why I wrote the book that I did. I didn't want to write it for the person who wants to have 30 and 50 properties. Although you could use some of these fundamentals that grow your portfolio to that level. This was written to help people buy their first, second, and third investment properties. I call that the triple crown club. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the success stories I chose was a young couple and they ended up buying two properties and, uh, and with the right cash flow and appreciation, uh, they recently had a child that was part of the interview I did and their first inclination when they, when they started to calculate how much they would need for their son to go through school and university and pay for hockey and all these things, they came up with a number and they said, oh my God, how are we going to afford that? And then it just almost was like an aha moment. It hit them that the property they bought three years before that, all they needed to do was refinance that once or twice over the course of the child's lifetime or sell it, but even refinance it. And that could pay for the child's entire education. So one smart decision that they did before the child was even born um, has basically changed the fortunes of their lives. How's that for a success story? It wasn't 17 properties, it was two or one. You know, you mentioned predictable property buying and using the avatar to kind of reverse engineer this process. Is there anything else we can do to make real estate investing maybe feel a little less risky and more predictable? Um, you're doing something that's fantastic. And I advocate this all the time. Wherever you're listening from, I guarantee you that within an hour of where you are, there was a meetup group. And again, it's one thing to do online, but there's, there's, some, there's nothing that could match rubbing shoulders with other action takers. Uh, the biggest challenge that we face in our, in our nine to five lives is that everyone who's in our workspace, as well as most of our circle of friends, very few of them are likely taking action and buying real estate. So they may not be intentionally uh, discouraging you from moving forward, but just their, their nervousness uh, will uh, will sometimes put some doubt into your mind. I tell people, uh, you think investing in real estate is risky. Uh, how risky is it to not invest in real estate, work 40, 40 years in the same job and put money into a RSP and TFSA and hope and pray that that money's going to be enough for you to retire? That, in my mind, is the risky move to do. So uh, by rubbing shoulders with people that are actually taking action and doing it, 
And um, when I started to invest in real estate, I did have some friends that said, oh, sure, I'll bet you bought another property now. And But meanwhile, in my investment groups, they, they applaud me and then they actually tease me and say, what, we bought one? And it's just a different mindset when, you, when, you, when you're rubbing shoulders with a different circle. And if you aren't near anyone or is it just too busy because your nine to five is taking too much time, um, there are 8 billion different podcasts that are out nowadays. There are some great audible books, uh, as a matter of fact, including Armchair Real Estate Millionaire is <laughs> now an audio book. Um, uh, just start to educate, self-educate, use the university uh, in your automobile and 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 start to really learn and and make it seem like it's just it's a natural next progression in your life it make it so it's an obvious thing it's it, and take the risk right out of it one thing that you mentioned earlier that i think is really helpful for a lot of us is it's not the property as you buy it necessarily that's going to be the wealth building machine it's increasing the value of that property over time because a lot of us if the idea of buying one property feels expensive and risky Investing in renovations right off the bat feels even worse, right? It's super scary. And so maybe pushing the um, um, the renovations further back and kind of timing those out can be a plan as well to manage the risk or manage the amount of money you're investing. It depends on what the renovation is. Yeah. Um, spending $50,000 on landscaping your rental property, including adding in all sorts of hardscape, like uh, like uh, a walkway and stuff like that, maybe isn't the best use of your money. Uh, building a legal accessory apartment in the basement, which can essentially increase the rental income by 50 to 75% uh, over what you're already making, and all of a sudden turn your property into a cash flow generating machine, um, that might be okay. <laughs> so, you know, so, so just using a little bit of common sense, but, you know, like the question I always ask myself before I do any renovation, what, what I was growing my portfolio was, will this attract a better quality tenant? Yes or no. Will this increase the value for either a, a sale or a refinance? Yes or no. Um, is this, if I don't do the renovation, will there be some damages that will come as a result of that? Yes or no. If the answer is, is no in every one of those circumstances, it's probably a, a, something you can defer. But, but if the answer is, yeah, if I don't replace this roof, uh, it's going to cause thousands, thousands of dollars of damage. Yeah, it might not raise the value of the place, but it's a good thing to do. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that because, you know, for those of us who've never renovated a home, right, we bought our house new, even our townhouse is relatively new and didn't need, I think we did a little bit of work in the basement, but not much. The idea, especially when neither of us are contractors and you see these flipping homes where there's a real estate agent and a contractor duo tackling all these things, it feels like I'm missing a significant amount of knowledge to make those kind of decisions. So I, I love that actionable checklist you just gave us. Well, and, and also you, you sort of already alluded to it as well. Everybody knows somebody who's a realtor. Just because you're a realtor doesn't mean you're an investment realtor. If I go to the doctors and I need brain surgery, I'm not going to go to my general doctor for that brain surgery. If I'm going to buy an investment property, uh, my best friend, Susie, who I've known since she was six and now is a real estate agent, if she doesn't currently invest in real estate and is not attending a lot of these events, maybe she's not the best person to pick for that. Um, and so finding an agent, finding a mortgage broker, finding a team that, that understands 
real estate investing is so imperative. And, and honestly, in, if people that are downloading this, uh, this, this podcast, uh, if you're, if you're self-employed and you've got a team around you, you can appreciate the value of the team. Like you, having a strong team makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Well, we talk about building that team, especially as a new real estate investor. Can you talk to us a little bit about how to choose and who to choose when we're starting to find those key people to help us start to build a portfolio? Well, yeah, there's nothing wrong um, if if you're if you if you're trying to create some sort of a goal, uh, ask them what they they see as far as their vision for what's a quality investment property. Uh, as a matter of fact, I believe going to a meetup and uh, and and actually seeing some of these people in action is probably the absolute best way to find some of these people. So if they're not going to the local meetups, that might not be my person to begin with. And so that's where I got most of my connection was through that or people that I respected there who then passed on a lawyer's name or something like that. Uh, so that would be the first thing I would do is what are their, what are their goals? Like uh, as a financial advisor, people are constantly reaching out to me and saying, Hey, would you like me to help finance your, um, invest your money? And I asked them, well, how much money have you got? And first of all, they feel offended that I even asked that question, but most of these people don't have the slightest knowledge of how to handle finances for themselves. And, you know, I'm renting and living in my mom's basement. Well, no, I'm not going to give you my million dollars to invest. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> it's funny because we, we do hear people who are happy to give advice and try and tell us things, even though they've never actually done it or, or put themselves in the same position. So I, I appreciate that. One of the questions I really wanted to ask, because I hear about it a lot in this new group that I've joined, is the idea of partnering with another investor to start growing your portfolio. I would love to know your take on whether that can be a good idea and how to go about that process. Yeah, there's there's four main components, I guess you might want to say, in terms of uh, of adding the property. One is the the research to find the, the right property. Uh, the next is is the the renovation to get it started, and secondarily to that, the ongoing management of that of that portfolio that property. The third one is the actual uh, down the down payment about the qualifying with or not, well, take it the the down payment, getting the money the hundred two hundred three hundred thousand dollars needed to do the down payment plus the renovation, and the fourth component is the qualifying with the bank. And, and a lot of people with the money don't necessarily qualify. I, I'm in that boat, for example. Mm-hmm. So if you think of it as those four main buckets, uh, there are times that you might be able to fill two of those buckets really, really well. Uh, maybe you become the market expert. Uh, maybe you are willing to do the work on an ongoing basis, but you don't have a lot of money and you can't qualify. Well, if you could find someone that has those other two components, maybe they don't have the time to do the day-to-day work. Maybe they don't have the time to uh, uh, to do the renovation. Well, you know, again, it's the old commercial where I've got chocolate, you've got peanut butter, and together we make a great, uh, great treat. Uh, it's along those lines where if you if you find the right partner, that could really work out well. Another component that I did was me personally is I partnered with people that were also active partners, and we came in fifty fifty, and it was somebody. Honestly, it's, it's, a, it's another level of marriage really is what it is. Uh, and so you have to be darn sure that it's someone that you can like and live with for a long period of time. And so 
in that way, we divided up the tasks. And so we were able to make that work as well. So it can work. I've seen it where it's gone miserably wrong. Uh, when the money partner is not happy with the active partner's efforts, um, their speed, their whatever, that can, that can turn a relationship really sour really fast. So there, there's upside, but there is an element of risk. You have to definitely know who you're getting into bed with. And uh, if, you, if you don't, if you're, just, if you're so desperate for the money, if you're trying to build your portfolio and looking for money and you're willing to take some asshole with, uh, with the ability to qualify, maybe that's not the best way to go. Yeah. And I liked your take on the idea of using real estate as a means to buy wealth and not just quickly generate fast cash. Because we think of the same thing when it comes to business, right? It's, there are people who get into business to try and make money really quickly and then get out. And I think it seems like there are people who do the same thing in real estate. Yeah. Um, but when we're talking about building personal freedom, building personal wealth, building balance and enjoying your life, that fast cash model doesn't necessarily sit right. There's an element of risk. You're, you're, you're riding a wave of appreciation. Like anybody who's uh, paid attention to news at all, you could have bought a shack a year and a half ago and then the value surged in value because of the number of reasons why. Um, it, it wasn't a, this person who bought the shack was all that smart. It's just they, they caught a wave. And that's what flipping is, is that I know a number of people that have got burned because when they were ready to sell, the market wasn't as hot as when they bought, bought it and they put up hundred or $500,000 in the renovation and it was worth barely more than what they paid for. And it was, uh, it's, a, it's a sad situation when they're in the flipping game. But in a buy and hold, once I purchase this property, as long as the property is covering itself and, and hopefully making a few dollars on the side, it almost doesn't matter that the property goes up 20% or even drops 20% in value. I'm cash flowing. I'm, I'm not in the real estate market anymore. I'm in the rental market. And, uh, and so, and historically, um, the rental values here in Ontario with the population that has been growing in all of the cities, the rent numbers just keep going up and up and up. And as the property values have surged in the big cities, a lot of the people that were renting prior have now sold their rental space spaces to people that have moved into it. So there's even less rental units today than there was three years ago in a lot of these cities. So there's more people and less rentals available. Guess what's happening to rental values? So they're just surging. And 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 it's been it's been honestly, it's been pretty easy. Not like the old days where where you know you had a hard time finding somebody with a six hundred credit score because everybody was anybody was buying a house. I've got a tenant in my in one of my Wiki properties that she's a lawyer making over 100K a year. Her husband uh, works for the city and making 50, 60 grand a year, but they can't buy a house right now because they've got so much student debt and they don't have any money for a down payment. A couple of years, they're going to buy it. They're right, perfect tenants. They're, they're great tenants, but they're not necessarily going to be uh, able to buy a house right away. It's, it's a different world and us to take advantage of it. Yeah. I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about the difference between buying residential real estate or rental real estate versus commercial real estate or even land, just mm -hmm. land development. Um, when we're deciding how to build our portfolios, is it like stocks where you want a diversified portfolio? I, I'm, I follow the teachings of Warren Buffett where I have a lot of my eggs in one basket. And I just watch that basket really closely. And 
And we could take a look at each one of those things. Land is by far the most speculative. First of all, it's very difficult to leverage. A lot of the banks don't want to get loan against that. So you're, you're coming with 100% down. And how the land goes up in value is if you have the skill set or the uh, luck that your property is redeveloped in a way that you can actually develop on it, then you can either sell it at that point or you can do the development yourself. That's a major league approach to investing. And it's, it's a lot of work. When it comes to commercial, again, um, the commercial game, I, I grew up in the real estate or in the, in, the, uh, uh, in the retail world. And retail and commercial has changed tremendously over the last 50 years. Heck, they've changed over the last three or five years. And if I took my DeLorean time machine 20 years in the future in Canada, I could go to your subdivision and I could be pretty darn sure that the, the subdivision is going to be almost exactly the same as it is today. And I like the certainty of, of that. Whereas in a commercial space, you know, with the Zoom world that's going on right now, are we sure that that's going to be a great investment in 20 years? Is buying that plaza with 16 different retail locations, uh, is that the best location? I don't know. There's an element of risk there. Um, like I would sure that Blockbuster was going to be a big thing for the next hundred years, but it didn't. So, so uh, uh, but residential is very certain. And unless all of a sudden, Owning or living in a house here in Canada became out of fashion. I can pretty much speculate that homes will be just as valuable or likely more valuable in 20 years than they are today. So I find that residential real estate to be by far a lower risk uh, investment situation. Yeah, that helps a ton, especially for someone like me who had initially had dreams of buying some sort of a commercial property and renting out the other spaces in order to have my own office in that space. But seeing you're so right with residential, you can really make that kind of tenant avatar and choose the property based on that. But with commercial, you, you don't have that same necessary luxury of being able to choose exactly what kind of businesses go where and who, right? So, and yeah, and another thought that you consider, which I, I'm not advocating, by the way, is to uh, get a mixed use building where you have a commercial space downstairs where your office could be. And then have tenants upstairs. And it sounds good in theory, but just think about, try to imagine the existing inventory of buildings that are, that are currently mixed use. Yeah. And then think about the quality of tenant profile that's upstairs in a downtown core on, uh, trying to think of some of the streets in Ottawa, but if yeah, on main street, Ottawa, and, and you think, is that the tenant profile I really want? The answer is no. So I use the same philosophy that I'm using for my, uh, my long time vacation. We actually looked at buying a vacation house and we decided against it because we said, why don't we just do two to three months short-term rentals, rent anywhere we want in the world, and then use all the extra money buying real estate here in the greater Toronto area, make the cash flow, and with that cash flow to go anywhere we want to go. And going to your scenario, if you can make enough money through your other ventures, you could use some of those funds to to lease the place you'd rather lease rather than something you're obligated to lease just because you own it. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I'm getting free advice here and I'm so soaking all of it. <laughs> My favorite part here. Um, I want to talk about the book because for a lot of us, finding trustworthy and reliable sources of information online can be challenging, especially knowing in the Canadian market in particular here, 
it's very different from the U.S., right? The it is. laws are different. The strategies are different. And so I would love to know more about the book and what we can learn from it. Yeah. So the book is called Armchair Real Estate Millionaire, and it's both available just so you know, in the uh, uh, audio version, as well as the uh, book that's available on Amazon and Indigo and all those fun places. So I wrote the book, um, not for someone to buy 20 and 50 properties, to buy one, two, and three properties. And I go through teaching people the basic fundamentals of what to look for in a real estate investment. And then secondarily, uh, the next steps to go forward. So sort of a, a bit of a how-to guide and how to get going at it. And uh, with my wife, she has 25 years of HR experience. She worked for IBM. Um, she's helped in developing the kind of leases that we want to have. And we talk a lot about having the right type of lease, setting the right type of uh, structure in place. So it's very systemized along the process. And, and honestly, that's the best way to describe it. It's, it's creating a bit of a system. And, and if you have enough success with that, maybe you can go forward and buy a second and a third. And that's really what I, what I advocate. A lot of people, much like what your crazy visions are of buying this beautiful multi-unit building in the, you know, this, this huge building and that way on your phone, you can show all your friends, your picture of your, of this is my building, but I have these boring 1000 square foot bungalows with basement apartments, which aren't very exciting and sexy. I admit but they're cash flow generating machines, they're wealth building machines. And here's the cool thing as well is, is that I have an entire chapter about this, which is a whole different conversation, but the buyer of my property, if I ever need to sell it, could either be another investor, it could be a multi-generational family, which is very prevalent in the cities here in Canada, especially with all the immigration we've been seeing. I find that the longtime Canadians don't want to spend anywhere near as much time with their family, which is why, of course, I moved from Windsor four hours away just to avoid that situation. But multi-generational families. And then lastly, of course, is the millennials and, and Gen Zs who are having such a struggle trying to get going in their real estate lives. So I, I try to advocate and teach them to maybe live in the basement apartment of this particular property, rent out the upstairs and really start to house hack and build wealth. So there's three different buyers that can buy this place going forward. And, and that's, that's so exciting. And, and we talk about a lot of that and, and it's a very simple, basic approach. It's, it's one of those things that you know already 80% of what's there. It's just, it's just sort of saying, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And that's really what my book was all about. My mentors taught me so many of the market fundamentals and the right fundamentals of real estate that I've just passed those on going forward. For the listeners, this is my favorite question to ask. Oh. I'm, <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice to these new solo business owners who are busy, but they want long-term freedom. They want generational wealth. They want to take steps in that direction, but they're not quite sure how or when. What would you tell them to do first? Oh, first. Oh boy. Um, what did I tell them first? Um, I think a lot of these guys are already doing a lot of the right steps, but um, they're they know their business really well and 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 really use their their business for uh, it's not necessarily a forever thing. Like like I became a realtor with the intention of building up my business so that it could be uh, 
an asset that I could pass on to the next person and, and generate wealth with that. Uh, this isn't necessarily first, but always have that in the back of their mind to, uh, to uh, um, put your business in a position where it's, it's, it's saleable. It's, it's, it, it's use it for what it is. It's not necessarily most important thing in your life, but it's, it's helping you develop that, that, that cash flow and that wealth. And, and then, but once you reach that point, they should look to diversify in something like real estate, because in, I, I talked about having all your eggs in one basket, that's great. But, uh, if you can all of a sudden start buying other assets, so that's not really the answer you asked me, but it's, uh, that would be the advice I would ask any young person who's, who's in, or when I say young, I'm not in talk of age, young in their business is to, um, is to, to have a five, 10 year plan. And part of that plan is, is to start taking some of that money and start to build other assets. And, and if you could start focusing on building wealth producing assets, um, and just keep doing that over and over again, um, that's only going to lead to success long-term. I love that advice. I think a lot of us build our businesses without realizing it, but we build it and it's a, it's a liability. <laughs> not an asset for the most part, right? It generates some revenue, but we can't necessarily sell it because it's us and it's dependent upon us. But as we start to take those steps to find ways, whether it's within our business or outside of our business, to generate that wealth and accumulate assets, we're going to experience more freedom and more stability over time. I love that advice. I created Doors to Wealth and that was my real estate business. Before that, it was called the Michael Dominguez team. The Michael Dominguez team could not have been sold because if you sell it, no longer Michael's there, it's, it's not good. Uh, so I, with intention, I created Doors to Wealth with the intention of selling the business five years later. And that's what I did. And so I'm now getting residual income from the efforts I did for, for 10, 15 years as a realtor. I'm now getting uh, about four or $5,000 a month every month for five years as a, as a means of selling it. Um, so with my real estate, as well as the business sale, as well as doing private mortgages, I'm now receiving enough cat passive income that I don't need to work anymore. If I want to, I can still take on clients, but I don't need to. And that's, and that really is, I think what all of us self-employed people are trying to do is get to that level of financial freedom so that they can, uh, uh, hustle less and profit more. That's it. That's it. Yeah. It's, a, it's tricky when you build a personal brand because a lot of us, um, we just don't know what we don't know when we first get started. But I, I, I love that advice with the exit plan in mind, even if it's not necessarily the goal to exit, setting it up so that if you need to, you can and make some money off of it is absolutely ideal. I'm an avatar guy. My avatar is I want to live a certain life and, and, and a lot of the things I do get me to that level. Oh, I, I, I wanted to tell you this one story. Yeah. I, was, I was working uh, as an active realtor uh, about three, four years ago, and I'd reached my financial freedom number, or I was really, really close to that number, but I was still working my typical 50, 60 hour work week as, as many of the people listening on this podcast are probably doing as well. And, um, and so I was at a Sunday open house and there was a mother and son that came in. The son was probably 18 to 20 years of age, something like that. And so I like talking to kids that are at that age and sort of telling them about, and we were in a duplex at the time. And so uh, usually another realtor is upstairs and I'm in the basement and I'm giving the, the pitch on the 
quality investing and building wealth and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, he's listening to it all. And I was saying, you know, if you can, you know, in five years or 10 years, buy a house like this, live in one unit, that's going to really set you forward. I wish I'd have thought of that when I was in my twenties, all that stuff. And then he just looks at me and says, well, if you're so rich, why are you working on a Sunday afternoon? And, uh, <laughs> and, and so I gave him some smart ass advice. I'd say, well, I'm here to help and pass it on. He said, you know, that's smart ass. He's right. Why am I working on a Sunday afternoon? And so if I can offer anybody who's listening here and is working 50, 60 hours a week, uh, if we all know the fable, the, uh, the ant and the grasshopper, where the ant is hustling all the time, and the grasshopper is sitting on his ass. And, and, then, and then the fable is, is that when winter comes, the, the ant is able to eat, the grasshopper dies, you know, starves, dies. Um, I want all of us ants to take on your inner grasshopper a little bit and don't forget to live your best life and, uh, and make that the goal at the end of the time, because you just simply don't know how many years we've got where we're active and going. You can't say, well, let's work till we're 70 and then I'll have tons of money to spend there. Like, you know, anybody who knows somebody in their seventies, you know, their big event is going to shoppers drug mark for the afternoon sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get to work at Shoppers on the weekend. So I know, I know that avatar. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and so I really make an attempt. And honestly, there are days where, or there are times when I'm doing my road trips where I, I think, geez, I don't know how many years I could do this. Like last year I did a road trip. I drove through Route 66 from Chicago to LA and in my Corvette convertible and had a great time on my own. Nobody wants, nobody can afford or wants to go with me anyway. Plus my Corvette's not big enough. Uh, and this year I drove back from Los Angeles. I was in LA for two months on a, uh, not, not vacation, wintering. And then I drove back. It took me about three, four weeks to drive back. And I drove through much of the United States, drove about 7,000 kilometers, took my time coming back and, and just seeing all these things that I always said, one day I want to do that. One day I want to do that. Well, when is one day going to happen? Make sure one day's happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, man, I know for me, I always kept saying and envisioning this point at which I would stop working weekends and stop having the extra job and stop doing all that stuff. But it wasn't tangible. It was like this, well, I'll make enough money, but, but that's not enough. You have to know or at least set that non-negotiable. Okay, like when is the date that I'm going to stop doing this and start enjoying my life? It, and that's, that's a great concept, but then just simply magically have it happen. It doesn't just happen. You have to start taking steps today uh, to start building assets that can start to generate the cash flow so you can live your best life. Like obviously any of us can quit and then buy a tent and then, and you know, live in, live in, live on the homeless side of, uh, of under the bridge. Uh, but that's not necessarily the life I want to live. I want to, I want to have, you know, Maybe I can't fly. Well, I usually fly first class, but I, I don't fly private. I, you know, I'm not doing any of that stuff, but I don't have a, a, a Lamborghini. I've got a Corvette. So like I had to make some, some choices, but I'm still living my best life and I'm enjoying myself. And, uh, and, and yeah, it all started with taking action and, and it was a 10 year, 15 year plan. And, and now, you know, as, as Dave Ramsey says, if you, if you live like no one else today, one day you'll be able to live like no one else in the future. I miss, I didn't say that line exactly right. But that's pretty much the mindset is I'm living like no one else now because I really worked hard where a lot of my friends just wouldn't work as hard as I. Yeah. Build assets, build your avatar, reverse engineer it, go with predictable long-term wealth building, 
and surround yourself with people who've done it, who will support you do it. Did I get them yeah. all? That's good. Yeah, honestly, you're, yeah. yeah. And read my book. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm going to link the book in the description. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today. I so appreciate your time and wisdom. And I know that the audience now is ready to dig in and start looking and investing in real estate. So thank you. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me in another episode of the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast. Thanks to our season one sponsor, Asteri Pursuit Marketing and Communications. You can find show notes and resources at hustlelessprofitmorepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us where you get your podcasts. Join us again next time to uncover more of the keys to achieving success, wealth, fulfillment, and freedom. Thanks for listening.